Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson, or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision-making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. All right. Well, welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. And today I'm really excited because uh, we have very few times can someone claim to be such an expert in an area, but having spent the last 15 years plus, Neil Schaefer is definitely an expert when it comes to social media and in in media marketing and influencer marketing. Um, He's been an expert in B2B. He's been featured in CMO, Forbes, He's been featured in the Wall Street Journal. And the thing that I was most excited about having Neil on is because um, for those of you who've been listening to us for a while or connected to us over the years know the idea of influencing others and doing so in a way that's mutually beneficial, but in a way that aligns to our biology is extremely difficult. And when you layer onto it the somewhat transactional nature of technology, and it's not a face-to-face interaction, sometimes it can be even more problematic uh, for folks out there. So if, if, if we can land the plane on any runway today, Neil, it's that I want my audience out there to be able to take some really practical steps away to how they can become a better influencer in a more authentic and genuine way that'll not only help them achieve their goals, but more importantly, help them live out their purpose by serving others in a more meaningful way. So with that, I say welcome, Neil. Thrilled to have you. Thank you, and challenge accepted. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, now, Neil, for the audience out there, Neil's written several books. We'll get into that in, in a little bit. But, Neil, I want to start with, um, how do you define what an influencer is? That's a great question, and there's a lot of you know misunderstanding because when we think of influencers, we immediately think of that YouTuber that our kids are hooked to or an Instagram model that charges $10,000 per post. But really, anybody can be an influencer. And people influence others. You know, my, I, I have a brother who is very influential in his industry, and he's not active on social media. So, you know, you know, influence existed, obviously, before social media, before digital media, before Al Gore and the Internet. <laughs> so you know, the concept's been out there. But with social media now and with different ways that we consume media, right, so, you know, when we were growing up, and I'm a Gen Xer, I believe you're a Gen Xer as well. I think we talked yep. about that. You know, there were, there were three major TV networks. There was either USA Today or your local newspaper, maybe the Wall Street Journal. Um, the ways in which we consume information were very few, and therefore the TV shows that we saw, the news that we read, were pretty similar person to person. These days we're sort of all over the place because, you know, how you can publish information with, with the Internet who is publishing the, the information? Um, it's really all become democratized. And what's now happened over time is media influence has become democratized as well. So, you know, the 2016 elections, not to get political on either side, but there's no doubt that in some way, fake news influenced what people thought about the elections, right? So this is how far we've gotten with social media that it can influence the way people think about things, whether it's news whether it's businesses, whether it's people. And that's a very, very powerful tool that I think businesses and people should tap into. Um, you know, not everybody has influence in social media. So those, not everybody's active in social media. So if you want to influence someone else, in other words, if you want them to um, change their 
decision-making based on what you are saying or what you are promoting. If you want to invoke them to action over what you do on social media, which I consider the definition of sort of a social media influencer, uh, it, there are ways of doing that in social media, just as there are ways of doing that to meet people in person at a chamber of commerce meeting or over coffee or through the phone. But social media gives us the ability to do that on a daily basis. And really anybody can do it. You know, in marketing, we used to define influencers as those that have like a million followers. Well, that's come down to a hundred thousand followers. And then with micro influencers that came down to 10,000 followers. Now with nano influencers, it comes down to 500. So I look around when I talk with companies, how many employees do you have that have over 500 connections on LinkedIn? They are nano influencers. And when you treat employees as influencers, it, you unlock a very, very powerful thing for your company. Um, for yourself, if you have a following of 500 people, you're a nano influencer, right? So there are ways of, of, of you know, intentionally trying to leverage that with whatever you do once you begin to use social media in that way. So that's really the ultimate way to, to really look at influence. And as I like to say, and I'm, I'm sort of jumping ahead and I'm sure what we're going to talk about, you know, I like to say that social media complements everything but replaces nothing. So we're going to go through a lot of you know, advice vis-a-vis -vis social media, but it doesn't mean you're not going to stop whatever you're doing. And if you're in sales, it's just another tool in your toolkit. But it's a very powerful tool, and you really want to figure out in this situation, you know, social works best. In this situation, an in-person meeting or phone call works best. And once you get that down, you've really gotten to the yin and yang of, of leveraging social media where it's best to leverage and leveraging old school, you know, business etiquette and, and business networking where it makes sense to do that as well. So I'm going to guess that a lot of our audience is going to have to hit pause right now. And they're going to rewind that answer because you just unpacked about 75 really key points that I want our audience to take away. Um, one of them is that concept of, of nano influencers all the way up the line, right? That I don't think that folks think about it that way. And I think that's a really important thing to think about. If you've got, you know, 500 influencers around, regardless if it's 300, 400, 700, whatever it is, as a nano influencer, that's huge. For an, and now you take that times, you've got 500 employees, and suddenly you've got a reach out there that you didn't otherwise have. So for those that are listening, I want you to capture that because that's really important. And the and other I wanna, thing and I want to I add on to that, my apologies for cutting in there, just on that note. So I have been doing presentations to companies on employee advocacy programs for several years. I have been shifting that to thinking of employees as influencers or creating employee influencer programs. It's the mindset or the mind shift of thinking of your employees, not as people that are going to broadcast your message and amplify it, but collaborators, right? Just like you would reach, why would you reach outside to someone you don't know that's an influencer when they're already working at your company. So once you change your whole mindset and you look in, you begin with those that have the greatest brand affinity for you, you begin to unlock some really, really powerful things that can happen, powerful collaborations that can happen under your own roof. That's huge. And I think that so many organizations, and you know this, this is your area of expertise, they're missing out on that opportunity. And I think what we ultimately know, and I want to go down too many rabbit trails here, but um, what we ultimately know is that every single human being really wants to feel like they're contributing to a bigger purpose and that they have some connection to uh, the outcomes of what are happening that are aligned to their why. And when you allow them to become influencers internally and get connected to the, to the company why and then allow them to be advocates for how their personal beliefs and their personal why connects to the company why, they become an advocate for you. Boy, talk about accelerating uh, the amount of influence an individual organization can have. That's huge. And guess what? Um, you know, if you think of your employees as employees for life, 
even though they may not be with the way our, our current economy is, um, you know, be the company that teaches them the concepts of personal branding, be the company that provides them that infrastructure. They're going to remember you forever. And even if they leave you, they're going to feel positive about you. Uh, they might become a customer. They might become a partner. They might end up referring someone to be an employee. So I think those organizations that excel in these employee influencer programs are those that really go the extra mile to invest in their employees and really help them, help them really share their voice with the world, right? Uh, it benefits the company. It benefits the employee. It benefits society. Great. All right. So this big overarching co uh, concept of influencer, we're talking about that really what it is, is that you're helping elicit change somewhere externally, externally yourself or for your company, uh, but you're doing so in hopefully a positive way from uh, adding value in your content, adding value in your thought leadership, whether it's a nano influencer group or a macro influencer group, whatever that may be. But it gives you, social gives you a chance to do that at scale. And I think that's the biggest difference than what we've ever seen before. And that's a, a really important point that even the old dogs in the B2B world are starting to recognize that they might be in their mid to late 50s, but it's probably a, probably a pretty good idea to have a LinkedIn profile because most of their Gen Xers and millennial customers are on LinkedIn. And those are the people, actually, I love working with older generations because those are the people that have a deeper understanding and deeper experience of business than the younger generations who don't necessarily use social media the right way from a business context. So once the older generations figure out social media and see it as a business tool, they catch on pretty fast. So don't right. let... I mean, age is completely irrelevant, right? I'm way older than a lot of speakers at a lot of the marketing conferences I go to. Right. It doesn't bother me. I'm, I'm as entrenched into it as they are. And, you know, the older you are, obviously, the more experiences you have. And part of all this, right, is that experience. Experience with been there, done that, this works, this doesn't work, and this is why, and what have you. So, um, yeah, you know, it, it, it's a great thing. Well, so the other thing that we talk a lot about uh, on this, not only on this show, but also to our clients is that there's two types of trust. There's personal trust and there's professional trust. Personal trust comes from a level of connection that, that I feel like you're somebody that believes in what I believe. And I don't talk, I'm not, I don't mean politics or religion. I mean, just universal human beliefs. And I sense that you're someone I can trust on a personal level, right? And then professional trust is really about credibility, that I perceive you as someone who knows what you're talking about from a professional standpoint. Now, in a one-to-one -one B2B sales call, um, you, know, you and I are sitting across the desk from one another or even like this on video, um, and I can start to sense through body language and through the way that we interact that there's a, you seem like a trustworthy person so that, therefore, I have a personal trust with you. How, can you describe how you do that through social when you don't have that interpersonal, you know, one-to-one face-to-face -face with the body language and the tone and all that stuff. What's a, what's a positive, good way for our audience to be able to create that personal trust as an individual influencer? So I think that, first of all, uh, I know that you have a lot of uh, salespeople that listen to this podcast as well. As we know, it takes time to build relationships, right? Social media is no different. It, it does not happen overnight. But social media does give you the ability to engage on a daily basis. And it's through that engagement. It's through the content that you publish. It's through when people engage with your content, how you engage back. It's through when you engage with and you comment and what have you on your connections in, in a LinkedIn world uh, content. I mean, it really comes down to this digital footprint that you leave based on all the activity that you do. And I do LinkedIn audits for my clients where I can go in to any, any profile and you can actually see the activity of any profile on LinkedIn, what content they liked, 
you know, what they uh, commented on, you know, what they shared, obviously. So that is what we are looking at when we're trying to, you know, figure out someone. So I think, you know, it comes down to, first of all, looking at your profile and are they, you know, do they seem trustworthy? Do they seem credible? And then if we start a relationship with them outside of when we meet them face to face or have a phone call with them, really, you know, does what they do on social media back up their claims? So if you're a speaker, I would expect over time, I would see something about an event that you spoke about. Right. If you are a world traveler, I'd expect to see photos of parts of the world that you've seen. Um, and that, that's what it comes down to. So, you know, from the professional perspective, if I'm a salesperson, you know, when I meet with a client or when I met with clients as, B, as you know, former B2B sales executive, uh, they wanted information about my industry, right? Not just my product, but what, you know, what were my competitors doing? What could I say without, you know, uh, uh, under NDA or, or without an NDA, what have you? So they, they want to get all those tidbits. So these are things that salespeople could be publishing on a regular basis. There's yeah. tons of industry information out there. You have content that your own marketing team is pushing out there that a lot of salespeople just ignore, but that's tidbits that when you start pushing that out there, it gives credibility because you're the one who published it and it's relevant to that person. So that's credibility through content. It's a, it's a new way of thinking, but I think that those salespeople that get it, and it's something that I teach as well during my social selling trainings, it, it can be extremely, extremely powerful because very few people get it and therefore um, they become the source. They become you know, the radio station. There's no TV guide for any of this, right? Yep. Um, when they start seeing the content you publish, they start engaging that they see more of it and you become the go-to person. You get top of mind. And that's really what you want to get in sales, right? When they have a problem, you're the first person they contact. And that's how it works with social media, specifically with LinkedIn here. Yeah, it's, it's been a fascinating um, world for me as I think about the, the influencers that I like to follow, the different podcasts that I listen to, and I'm a CEO of a business, right? And I'm supposed to be an influencer and a thought leader and, and all that. And, and I, but I know the science behind this. I, I tend to gravitate towards the thought leaders that show the, the right amount of professional vulnerability uh, in, their, in their ongoing, reg not every time, but like they share a little bit of themselves in a meaningful way that lets me into who they really are. And, but they still post a lot of great content and a lot of great, you know, credibility stuff. But it's that one every third or fourth post that goes, oh, they're real. That really draws me to them. And I know that's the empathetic part of my genetics in my brain that really wants to know that if I'm going to listen to somebody, I want to know that they bleed like I bleed, that they feel like I feel, that they fail like I fail. And those, it seems like those influencers that find that magic formula of posting the right amount of connection content, if you will, or messaging with the right amount of professional credibility content. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. And you know, when you were talking before about you need to build trust from a personal level, credibility from a professional level, I was going to add one more element to this, which is called what I like to call relatability. Yeah. And it speaks exactly to what you're talking about. Can I relate to this person? Are they real? Do we have similar experiences? This is where that lifestyle content of you, you know, enjoying dinner with your family and, and, um, you know, uh, a picture of, you know, a sunset uh, over the weekend that you took that inspired you. Those are, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like that too. I love that photo. You know, we have this in common. It's, right. it, that is what social media is also can really give you the ability to do. You, you do it in person, right? You have shared experiences. You can't have shared experiences in social unless you actually publish content that's going to invoke those, those emotions right. on the other side. So I, I definitely agree. I think, 
you know, LinkedIn has really changed because obviously we're now majority millennial workforce and LinkedIn has definitely been influenced by this increasing number of, of millennials that use LinkedIn as if it was a Facebook, as if it was an Instagram. A lot of people agree, disagree, but it's the reality. It is. And I think those that mix in that lifestyle content, that relatable content actually do a lot better. In fact, I've actually added a relatability score when I do a LinkedIn profile audits for my clients. So I think it's that, yes, you need credibility, trustworthiness, you know, no like and trust, but that likability I think also comes from that relatability. Yes, I trust you. Yes, you have credibility, but do I really like you, right? And yep. as, you know, we do business with the people we like. It's, and as in sales, the, the customers I like always got the best prices. That's, that's the way it was, right? It's, yes. it, it's part of this emotional uh, backbone <laughs> of people. And even B2B, doing business with B2B, it's people in B2B doing business with people in B2B, right? So yes. I think those people that can use that in social media, um, you know, every once in a while, if you're already publishing content on LinkedIn, every third, as you said, one, once out of every three or four posts, shake it up. Something you might post on a Facebook or Instagram. Try it out. Uh, you might be surprised. Yeah, and it's a great reminder even for myself who, uh, you know, if I can, if I write, I could just post it the other day, of, I did a keynote for a large organization and I posted a picture of it on stage and it was very much a credibility post. Yet I need to post the time, you know, I need to post the thing that says something to the effect of, uh, the worst mistake I ever made falling off a stage at a keynote and then write a little blurb about it. Like those kind of posts, I think, because people who know me know me. They know, you know, how vulnerable I am. They know that I, how emotionally connecting I can be and all of that stuff. But the people on social who don't know me, like the masses who might follow me or see a post or see a tweet, they don't know that about me unless I can share some of that with them in a way that doesn't make you look like a complete fool, but you want to be just vulnerable enough to be relatable, right? Well, yeah, and I think there's also a message you can share with that. So yesterday I recorded a, my latest podcast episode where I've said point blank, that I never subscribed to podcasts. And only recently have I started becoming a consumer of podcasts. And when I started listening to other people's podcasts, I realized how terrible my own podcast was <laughs> and how I was letting down my community. And I said, I'm going to fix that, you know? Um, I'm, also, I'm also like um, giving advice that says, if you really want to become good at any given social network or content medium, you need to become part of it. You need to become part of the community. You need to be consuming the same information that a user would consume. Right. Only then do you get the deep understanding and the insight and the light bulbs go off as to what you should and shouldn't be doing. Uh, so, and, and that goes hand in hand with everything else I think we've been talking about. But yes, I'm showing myself vulnerable. I mean, we all make mistakes. You know, yeah. every, For every uh, you know, entrepreneur that has a successful startup, there's probably 10 or 15 startups that were not successful. We all know that. And right. people always share their successes. Well, once in a while, share your failures, but what you've learned from it, there's nothing wrong with that. And it does build that relatability. Yeah. That we found that to be so true. And whether it's personal, you know, uh, interpersonal one-to-one face-to-face -face meetings, or whether it's through the written word or social, the more that people can relate to you, to your point, the relatability quotient, I would almost put that over a slight, I would almost dial that a slightly higher degree, more powerful in my powering of the survey than I would credibility. Um, when it comes yeah. to longevity of influence, now, in, an, in a short-term influence, where I'm out there, I have a problem, and I need to solve it, and I find you, and you have a solution, I don't necessarily need to connect with you and relate to you on a super deep level immediately because you have a solution, but for me to be somebody who wants to be influenced by you over time, 
then I need to have the, the connection factor, right? So, okay, I've got a question for you. And this is really more of a pet peeve of mine, but I'm sure this is out there for others. And I, I need you to set the record straight on how to do this. So in my LinkedIn profile, if you go there, it'll say CEO next to my title because that's what I or next to my name because that's my title. And so I get lots, tons and tons of connection requests every day. Um, and many times I'll accept because I want to be able to influence as many people as we can as a company, as a brand. It's when I accept connect and my in-mail box, if I showed it to you today, is full. Like I don't even, I can't even tell you how many immediate emails I get with, I got watches. Hey, thanks for connecting. It looks like we share a common network. By the way, here's my 75 watches. Do you need a watch? Yep. So tell people how to best handle that because it's quite annoying to, to those of us who are really trying to make genuine connections and not be pitched immediately after I say yes. Yeah. So, you know, there's always been, and I've been in the LinkedIn space. I mean, I wrote my first book on LinkedIn back in 2009, my second book in 2011. So I've been blogging and speaking and doing a lot of work around LinkedIn. I never created, I work with corporations and enterprises. So I never created products for small business owners or entrepreneurs. Uh, I was never at that price point. Now there are a lot of other uh, LinkedIn coaches that are at that price point that give a lot of advice. And there are some back in the day, Hey, let's create a fake profile or let's create a group of fake profiles of people that work at your company. And then we'll join uh, all sorts of different LinkedIn groups. And then we'll all like make sure that we monitor those LinkedIn groups and we'll, we'll talk up your company and all these LinkedIn groups when there's a relevant, uh, you know, conversation going on. That was a, an old technique. I don't think it's, it's, it's useful anymore because LinkedIn groups are not as popular a place for conversations as they used to be, but there's always people that try to come up with tactics um, a lot of times using fake profiles or automation tools to try to find a quick approach, right? Yeah. And try to find the shortcuts that really don't exist and shouldn't exist. So the latest one is, you know, there's a lot of tools out there that will literally just view other profiles. So the idea is that if someone's viewed your profile, you're probably going to check them out, right? right. And the tools have become very, very sophisticated to the point where I can put in titles, company name, location, and I can, if I want to visit, you know, these 300 different CEOs over the course of 10 days, 30 days, I have the ability to do that. Now, LinkedIn obviously is cracking down on these tools. I do not recommend you use them. And I've had people reach out to me. My LinkedIn account got, you know, got canceled. Um, can you help me? No, I don't work at LinkedIn. I can't help you. <laughs> I just blog about it, right? And, and coach other people. So there's other tools now that will do automated messaging to those profiles. So it, they see they see social media as a big funnel, right? So hey, uh, you visit their profile, then they visit your profile, then you send them a connection request. Hey, I th saw you visit my profile. Um, I love helping. You know, um, I saw company name, right? And immediately wanted to connect with you. First name. I help lots of businesses in city name. So they create these automated templates, right? That yes. are somewhat personalized, but you can sort of see through them. And then, they, and then after you accept the connection request, then sometimes within 24 hours, boom, it's the sale. Um, I, I do not, you know, there are components of that that I do recommend, but always in a manual way, always personalizing your messages, always personally going out. If you wanted to visit profiles, which I think is the best practice to engage with, you know, find uh, targeted customers, what have you, but never automate it and never immediately after connecting the immediate sale, right? Because right. no one wants to be pitched to. And uh, there are some people, the proponents of that formula will say, hey, you know, for every hundred, we get one or two leads. And I'll say, well, for every hundred, you have 50 pissed off people that are- Right, <laughs> right, right. And it's the 
all the people that block you, right? And yes. all the time that you're wasting on the nasty messages you get back from people. And some of those people might be influential. It might bring up your name in social media or on LinkedIn. Right, right. You really, really have to be careful. And obviously, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I've seen, maybe because I've told people that I have an issue with that, I've seen fewer and fewer of those messages recently. And, and now I know, you know, if I get a personalized invite, I almost do not accept it unless it is personalized to the point where the person really knows me, right? Sure. Because it's the personalized invites that are automated. Uh, but I'm just way more selective with LinkedIn invites than I used to be. I've already maxed out at 30,000, so I've had to be. But um, you really want to be careful with those LinkedIn invites because it's really going to turn you off to the platform, which is really a shame for the 99% of us who use it. Right. It, make, it makes sense. Well, we're headquartered in Cincinnati and I got an in, a LinkedIn request invite just yesterday from a gentleman who said, Hey, I see we have the same uh, a group of similar, a similar interests in the same, in a similar group of connections. And I would love, I love connecting with business owners here in the Florida area. <laughs> I was like, okay, not connecting with this dude. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, my, my company, my DBA is PDCA social, but it, I actually only have a Japanese website. So on LinkedIn company page, I use neilshafer.com where I want to drive traffic. So I'll have a, Hey, I love what you're doing at neilshafer.com. I'm thinking immediately, right? Right, right, or right. Because I put it out, to, I love helping agency owners like neilshafer.com. And I'm like, okay, you have no clue. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll report those people. And you know what? If once in a while where I do connect with someone where they pitch me, I immediately unconnect. And I immediately block them. Right. Because if they're reaching out, I mean, it just, I don't, I, I see people repeatedly do that if you don't block them and it's sending that signal to LinkedIn. So I think if we all do that, LinkedIn's going to become a better place. Well, here's my next strategy on that. You can tell me if I'm off base. So I'm releasing my next book in probably a month and a half. So yeah. I thought I was just going to, as soon as I get a connection request, I'm going to reply back with the link to my book and see if they buy it. Then I'll connect. Is that, is that how I should do it? No, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's talk for a second, Neil, about you've, you've got a book that's available today in pre-order, your latest book. It's going to officially launch um, in first quarter, but the age of influence and the, the power of influencers to elevate your brand. Tell, tell the audience a little bit about that book. I know we've probably been talking a lot about the subjects that you cover in it, but give us kind of a high level overview of the book and what we might be able to take away from it. Sure. So, uh, you know, I write books for uh, the audience needs that I have. And a few years ago, my last book that I wrote, Maximize Your Social, was based on the fact that the number one question I would get asked whenever I spoke was, hey, you know, Neil, how do you build a social media strategy? How do you measure social media ROI? And that book sort of answered that based on all my consulting experience. Uh, later on, I used to get asked about what tools, what technology I recommend. And I created a, a conference called the Social Tool Summit that I ran for two years. So more recently over the last year or two, the number one question I get asked by far is about influencers. And it's both from corporations and small business owners and entrepreneurs wanting to know how to better leverage influencers, but it's also from professionals saying, you know, hey, how do I cash in? How do I become more of an influencer in my industry? Or, how, you know, how do I become an influencer in, in whatever a field that, or whatever niche I, I want to go into? So really, I, you know, I, I took a step back and the more research I do and the more I put together my own thoughts on the subject, I realized that a lot of people were just, you know, mistaught about influencer marketing and about the, the concept of influence in social media. So really the book is to clear up, you know, redefining influence in social media. No, it's not just YouTubers and Instagrammers. Uh, it's, it's nano influencers, it's employees, it's, it's partners, it's followers. Um, no, this is not some trendy thing uh, that's going to die tomorrow. The, the concept of celebrity endorsement 
has been around for centuries, but it's the way that we consume media and the democratization of media influence is to open it up for anyone to become an influencer. And then I, I created basically a playbook, right? This is how you want to work with influencers. This is how you find them, how you measure your ROI. I wanted to create that playbook for companies. It's intermixed with you know dozens of case studies, uh, both B2C and B2B, uh, because I believe that influencer marketing is as relevant for B2Bs as it is for B2Cs. And the final chapters really talk about why you know, every company should try to become more influential in their industry because the more influential you become, the more other influencers want to work with you, the more businesses want to work with you because they see you as an influencer, right? And then obviously, how do people also yield more influence in whatever they want to do? And finally, I, I close it off with, I do believe the influencer marketing industry is becoming much more mature. I do believe the emergence of AI and machine learning I don't think it's applicable to anything and everything we do, but to influencer marketing, AI and machine learning is, and, and visual uh, recognition tools is definitely helping us discover who has real influence, who has fake influence, who's buying followers, uh, who has influence on what subject. Um, it, it's really going to help us discover um, those key people that we want to work with because what we have with all this democratization is fragmented audiences, right? It's not the same TV networks. What I saw as a viral video on YouTube and what you saw are probably completely different. So it helps us tap into the fragment audiences, which I believe are, are the future of influencer marketing, the nano influencers that never bought followers, but they have a real tuned in audience on whatever niche subject that they have. And hopefully your listeners are going to become part of those, uh, part of that group. But yeah, that's sort of the concept. And I don't think there's been a book. I mean, when I wrote Maximize Your Social, there wasn't a book about social media strategy and how to create your own strategy written. So in the same vein, I wanted to create the, the first playbook uh, for influencer marketing for those companies that haven't done it yet or haven't done it well. Uh, this is the book that you can dive into and and, gen and figure it out and generate ROI from it. Yeah, that sounds that sounds incredible. I'm looking forward to to getting it for us and for our team as well because it sounds like it's. I like the playbook idea. Um, I'm, we're huge on that, right? As you you can write a book uh, and be an expert on a topic, but giving people practical, actionable tools to take away from it. It sounds it sounds really really good. Um, it's funny you mentioned the concept of of influencers as the millennials and the, the, then the Gen Z group come along. Uh, I, I'm, it's not surprising to me, but I think about my son who's a freshman in high school and he's a big gamer and he gets on there and he's got his own YouTube channel and yada, yada, yada. And I saw some of the, the research in your, you're putting in your book that in his age group, 70% of those folks are influenced by influencers versus celebrity endorsement type of stuff. And it's yep. so true. Like the people that he will tell me he's influenced by to go do whatever, to buy whatever product or to go to whatever channel. I have no idea who those people are, but guess what? Everyone in his circle knows exactly who those people are. Yep. And, and so that's a very fascinating evolution as brands start to think about that and why I guess you see some of these people get $10,000 for an Instagram post. Um, it isn't as much as that their celebrity endorsement is that they've created a unique influencer group around that subject matter, whatever that is. And now you can extrapolate that down to YouTube and all these other, uh, it's pretty fascinating. And I think as, as this evolves, I, that was my last question for you, Neil was as social media evolves and as influencer marketing evolves, you mentioned the AI piece, but what do you see? Could you have predicted 10 years ago, we were where we are today, 10 years later, and more importantly, from today, 10 years forward, where, where do you think we're going to be with influencer marketing? And what should our companies and our clients and individuals at those companies be thinking about to stay ahead of the curve? Yeah, so I, it's funny, whenever I speak and I get asked about the future, I say, look, there is so much for you to do in the here and now based on everything I've just talked about. So don't worry about the future, right? Uh, look at your data, 
your metrics, the future will figure its way out because even yeah. social networks, we don't know their roadmaps for the next few years. But I will say, you know, 10 years from now, the writing is on the wall that social media becomes pay to play for businesses. Really? I mean, if you look at engagement, it keeps going down and down and down for businesses. LinkedIn company pages are a unique, uh, you know, um, they're, they're getting more engagement. You know, the other social networks rely on advertising, meaning that they have to tweak the news feed in order to show advertisements. LinkedIn is not necessarily so because they get money from recruiters, right, for their, their talent solutions. They also get money for Sales Navigator. So they are in a different position where they can actually give more exposure to smaller businesses. But at the end of the day, social media was made for people, not for business. And that's, it's going to become a advertising uh, battlefield for businesses. Therefore, uh, you know, this book I'm hoping will re-educate businesses that the only way for you to get seen, it's, it's like, hey, when I talk to uh, small business owners and entrepreneurs in Japan, which is very late to digital and social media, by the way, uh, I'll, I'll say, you know, well, how did your business get started, right? How did your business get to be where it is today? And they say word of mouth, right? And, and social media 10 years ago, when your Facebook page got so much engagement, it's like, yes, you know, we, we're going to get fans and then friends of fans are going to see that content and it's going to go virally. And, you know, people don't talk about it that way anymore, right? But right. word of mouth marketing is still what we try to achieve. If we cannot do that anymore through organic social, because we don't get the engagement and we just don't get seen in the newsfeed because social networks become pay to play. And if our paid ads look like ads and we know that people trust ads less and less over time, the only way to really get to incite that word of mouth in social media, which is possible, but it has to come through people, right? Right. And that's the thing. It can't come through a logo. And by the way, people are more relatable. <clears throat> Every data point will say, we trust people like us more than we trust the CEO, more than we trust a government official. There's all Edelman Trust Barometer, Niels, there's all sorts of data out there that support that. So when you see social media, not as a place to market to people, but as a way to collaborate with others, you begin to unlock the power of social media. And for businesses, it's a tough pill to swallow because they're used to, we'll advertise, we'll get followers, we'll just push out content, and it's another advertising channel. Well, at some point, you're going to stop getting engagement and you're going to actually have to engage back with others. You're going to have to proactively engage with others. And those, it's easier for smaller businesses that are newer, for startups to do this. Um, but the businesses that are going to incite the word of mouth and social media are going to be the ones working with influencers and the ones that are truly engaging as people would with their fans and with others in the community. So it's going to require a little bit deeper of a touch. Uh, and that's truly humanizing your brand when you do that. And for marketers, it's going to, it's going to be a, you know, a, a mind shift. Uh, I don't know if they're prepared for that or not. And it's going to require sort of different KPIs to measure some of this. But I think that's the direction that companies are going to need to go. It's going to be more, I, you know, almost like a PR approach. Uh, you know, media relations, if influencers are the new media. So it is going to be more relationship-based with influencers with your fans, with others in the community. And from that, there's tremendous business value, but it's really about inciting that word of mouth through leveraging other people. That's fantastic. So in, in summary, for the listeners out there, and we'll, we'll focus less on the future, but in the here and now, here's what I want you to take away, and you'll jump in and correct me if I'm wrong, is at an individual level, you need to be an influencer, even if it's a, a nano-influencer. Um, and then let the aggregation of the, of the nano influencers in your company become one giant influencer to whatever it is you want to be, both personally and professionally as a brand. And, and for those who are thinking about this in a, in a way that's meaningful, add value to your tribe. Don't just blast them with watches. Actually create meaningful content and put it out there on a, on a regular basis 
And, and not in a way that's, again, selling your watches, but is adding value to people in a way that's meaningful. And you'll attract people because people are attracted to people who they feel care about the things that they care about. And then if you haven't done so already, I really encourage you to go grab Neil's first, well, one of his first books, Maximizing Your Social. It's an excellent blueprint for uh, as things have evolved in a social, but, but also jump on and grab The Age of Influence because that's in, in pre-order stage now. It's going to officially launch in first quarter. And go to Neil Schaefer, and it's S-C-H-A-F-F-E-R, my, my, my grandma's Schaefer without the C. So ah. it's, it's Neil, N-E-A-L-S-C-H-A-F-F-E-R, neilschaefer.com, and it's chock full of a ton of resources. Um, and I really hope that, you know, my, me and my team, we're going to take a lot away from this podcast and from your resources, and I think our listeners will as well. And there's just so much here. There's so much value you offer, and this is such a need in our community today in the business community because so many people are either doing it poorly or aren't doing it at all and having voices like yours out there uh, teaching us how to do it correctly uh, and helping continue to stay current on things is hugely helpful. So um, I just want to say thanks again for your time. And, and do you have any closing parting shots for the audience out there? Well, I'm, I'm honored by your, your comments. So thank you very much for that. Um, you know, you don't necessarily have to want to become an influencer per se, but if you want to use social media to influence others to buy from you or to serve them, then yeah, I think that's really a great mindset. And I never actually thought about it that way until you just said it, right? If you're going to be on social media and you want to create impact, then you should strive to become an influencer. And I guess, you know, we, we, I think we talked about this before we began the podcast, but I guess I'll just leave with, you know, new tools, old rules, right? Yeah. Um, the rules of, of sort of, you know, social etiquette, just because you have these new tools, it doesn't change them. So I encourage you, you know, I'm a Gen Xer. I started late. Anybody, it's not rocket science, it's muscle memory. So just go out there and the, the more you do it, the better you get at it. But always stay in tune. Look at the data of your accounts. Look at what content generates more engagement. Ask your audience. I mean, on Instagram, I never posted business content. And then I posted a story with using Instagram polls. Hey, would you like me to post more of my social media content here on Instagram? And like 90% of the people said yes. So I'll start doing that, right? So always sort of tune in. I mean, you called it a tribe, community audience, whatever it is. Always keep tuned in to what they're about and, and what is interesting to them from what you publish. Really continue to pivot, right? It's, it's a never-ending, uh, changing landscape. Uh, and you need to just get used to that and, and actually enjoy the ride. Yeah, and I'll close with this then. Um, we're having Tom Ziegler on in a couple of weeks and Zig Ziegler's son. And, uh, you know, you reminded me of one of my favorite quotes from Zig is, right, you can have everything in life you want if you just help other people get what they want. And if you think about that from an influencer standpoint, because honestly, why do we post? Why do we put ourselves out there? And there's a deep longing inside of all of us to be part of community, to be part of of that tribe, but at the same time, we also feel good about adding value to other people. And so if you help other people, and if your mindset as, a, as an influencer is, I'm helping other people, then you'll post from that mindset and you'll attract those people. And ultimately, you'll end up accomplishing what you want faster and farther by having that mindset. So I don't know if you have any thoughts, agree or disagree on that concept. Yeah, um, be, be selfless is really the greatest advice there. Uh, when you help other people, you know, I'm a huge believer in the bank account of karma. Yeah. And I do believe that the good you plant, the good seeds you plant in the world do come back to you. And people do remember the good deeds you did for them. So um, do good things. Social media gives you the ability to do social good on, on a global scale. 
And uh, yeah, um, like I said, it's just, it's an extension, right? It's an extension of everything else you do, but it's a powerful extension. So use it wisely. Um, but uh, yeah, give back and really whatever it is that you do, why you do, um, you'll be able to spark emotions and find other people that you can help definitely in social. So um, hopefully, you know, all this advice will help you uh, achieve your goals faster and deeper and, and be able to touch more people along the way. Excellent. Well, that's a great place to end. So once again, to the, on behalf of our audience, thank you so much, Neil, for your time today. We really appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much and good luck, everybody. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.